first scripture lesson today comes to us uh, from the 12th chapter of the first letter of Paul to Corinthians. It's found on page 163 in the New Testament of the Bible. Starting on verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy. To another discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit, who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, through though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. May God bless the reading and hearing. Ha, ha, ha. 
No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in heaven above, and signs in earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Turn your hearts with me in prayer. Give to us uh, ears, that not just ears to the echoing sounds of a voice, strains of music, but also ears to the resonance of your spirit in our hearts. For you have created us to receive your God-given, graceful life. And with those ears, that we find something for which to be grateful, something to celebrate on this Pentecost Sunday and all the days to come. Amen. Some of you maybe noticed um, that the bulletin uh, announces the liturgical rhythm for each Sunday. For example, the bulletin will say the second Sunday in Advent, or the fourth Sunday in Lent, or the fourteenth Sunday in Pentecost, that sort of thing. Some of you may notice, but I have to acknowledge that most of you don't care. <laughs> and I'll confess that tracking church time is an activity of minor significance because it has almost no bearing whatsoever on your life once you step outside of these walls. And it's one of those kind of esoteric things that guys in collars and women in clergy pay attention to, despite the fact that nobody else particularly cares. There is very little overlap between what Sunday it is in the liturgical year and how you are going to calibrate the coming week. Oh, there are some exceptions. Christmas is probably the biggest one. Your days after Christmas is going to be different than other days during the rest of the year, and that has some synchronicity with the church calendar. Easter is kind of another one. Uh, you're going to put on a bonnet or dress up or, you know, come to church, even though you don't necessarily come to church. Clearly, looking around Pentecost is not one of those occasions. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that nobody in this past week at work said, you're going to need to get that report to me no later than the seventh Sunday at Easter. <laughs> so, it's settled that I want that project done by the third week of Pentecost. No, nobody talks that way. By the way, the fourth Sunday in Pentecost is about the time the Westminster Hall construction will be done. <laughs> so what are we doing? What's the significance of this flow of days based upon how the church celebrates time juxtaposed to the world's calculations? Now, please note the decision to mark these Sundays in the way that we do uh, in this obscure chronology of the church. Um, it really is the pastor's choice. You can go to lots of Presbyterian churches and not see that it is such and such a 
days since the last holy day. Um, I list those dates because of my idiosyncratic uh, affection uh, for the obscure, but also because I think it is helpful when we gather as a church to remember that things are different here. That this should be a different kind of experience and engagement than the ordinary time of the world around us. That what we expect, what our attitudes will be, what our connections will be, our sense of time itself should shift for this brief hour. And this weekly encounter should express some kind of discontinuity with the rest of our week, with the rest of time itself. I do hope that every week something in this time together transforms you. As we share the disciplines of prayer, share music, spoken word, and acts of generosity, fellowship with one another, and occasionally celebration of the sacrament. We even mark time with elements that look back to the moments of change. We look back to things that define who we are, things that will reform us. The year begins with Advent. Two seasons we look ahead. In Advent, we look forward to the coming of Christ in the Christ child at the time of Easter. In Lent, the other anticipatory season, we look forward to the celebration of the death and resurrection of Christ. The rest of the time, we anchor the calendar on those holy days. And so we have the second Sunday of Christmas, followed by Epiphany, the celebration of the birth of that child, who is declared as a salvation to the world. And then we have a few Sundays in Epiphany until we start the season of Lent. And then we anticipate Easter. And then we have Sundays in Easter. And then we have Pentecost, which is today. Pentecost, where do you get that new goofy name? You wouldn't expect the word Pentecost to appear in church ever, given the association to Pentecost, demonic. Pentecost is 50 days after Easter. 700, 50, 49, 50. Today is Pentecost, 50 days after Easter. It floats like Easter. And now for the rest of the calendar, until we get all the way around to Lent, with the exception of a couple of Sundays, like Trinity Sunday, which is next week, we're going to be counting the number of Sundays since Pentecost. That's what's going to get us through for the rest of the year. We'll be looking back to saying the day that the Church received the gift of the Holy Spirit sustains our marking of time. This celebration, Pentecost Sunday, many churches recognize as the birthday of the church. The day in which God breathed, not unlike with Adam, when God breathed into the dust of Adam, and Adam became a living being. The life of the church, God breathes by the power of the Holy Spirit, the flame and very breath of the church and the church born on Pentecost. So some churches make everybody wear red, the color of the Holy Spirit, 
And that all of that arrhythmia, all of that out of sync, all of that too fast or too slow, all of that Goldilocks dissatisfaction with the world and with the people around you, is resolved here in the news of Pentecost, and that is that God has given to you exactly what the church needs. And if any one congregation is lacking, guess what? There are a whole lot of congregations and that the Church of Jesus Christ has gifts shared diffusely through it, all of which are exactly what is needed by the community and the world. And the world. There are so many illustrations that I could give, but I will give you a couple based upon some podcasts I've been listening to about adolescence and youth mental health. You can't open a paper of any consequence without reading this one article saying, no, the kids are not all right. The kids are not all right. What are they missing? A lot of them say they're missing sleep, and that's probably true. <laughs> but the other fact that they are missing is that sense of conviction that their gifts are sufficient and valued. That their gifts are sufficient and valued. That what they bring to the table is exactly what the community needs. That would suggest that that means for a community of faith to be able to embrace struggles with children and youth mental health is the simple act of being the church by letting them know that what they've got and who they are and what they bring is exactly what live in a world that is constantly insisting on insufficiency, but that jarring church time moment is walking into a community of faith and hearing the people say, you have what we've been looking for. Thank God you're here. This past week, Father Mike, Mike Flayer, Southside at, at, uh, at St. Sabina's Catholic Church. I've worked with Father Flayer a few times in Inglewood. And uh, he is a fireball of a representative of the church. And one of the things he said this past week is, is that churches are incapable of addressing the crisis of youth in our society. They should perhaps be considering giving up their taxes and status. Our words from a Catholic man. Taxes and status is a pretty broad reach in the archdiocese of Chicago. But I get his point. I get point. Communities of faith are, by legislation and historic luck, not required to pay property tax. Right? Uh, we don't pay one nickel of property tax in the township of LaGrange or the county of Cook for this facility here. What are there? Probably six lots, eight if you divide them up, you know, in the right way. Probably 15 if you put in townhouses. What would be the property tax bill for this particular piece of real estate that the system has ordered that we don't have to pay? It's my contention that the giftedness of communities of faith should be so deeply profound and so generous back in to the world around them that no one should ever question as to whether or not that matters really. We have been given the privilege to be able to share back to the world the gifts of the Spirit are given to us. But the celebration of Pentecost is the celebration of the giftedness of the people who gather 
the announcement of the giftedness to those who have yet to come. So celebrate today. Celebrate that what you have is exactly what God has given to you based on what the community needs. One last little piece from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. The opening words. No one says that Jesus is cursed and is of the Holy Spirit. And no one says that Jesus is Lord unless guided by the Holy Spirit. I would suggest what Paul is conveying there is that any time you diminish the gift of another child of God, you are cursing Christ. You are grieving the Holy Spirit. When we look at another and say, you're insufficient, your gift is not polished enough, who you are is not adequate to our demands, what you bring is of no value to us. Every time those words and that attitude comes from our mouth and our hands, the Holy Spirit is absolutely silent. But every time you say, good job, nice work, I'm glad you're here, we need to see you, we love you, you are so good at what you do, we celebrate the giftedness of the body of Christ, and Christ is glorified, and the Spirit is rest. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and articulate the words of the tradition of our faith in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Ascended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church.